You may be seated. Let us pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you that we could gather in this place. We pray as we dig into your word that the words that I speak would not be mine, but that your word would speak to us, would share with us and draw us closer to who you are. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today is our last sermon on the Dropping Your Sword series and how to read your Bible without hurting people. We uh, talked about all kinds of different topics, and next week we're going to take a kind of an in-between sermon series, and then we'll spend a couple weeks on the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Then we are already into Lent and our journey towards Easter And in that time, we're going to spend the weeks talking about the women of the Bible who shaped the faith as we know it. From Hagar and Mary and Huldah and these influential women of Scripture. But for today, we finish up on how to read the Bible without hurting people. We have journeyed this for several weeks, and we've spent the time talking about these big topics. And we now know that scripture is designed for doing good, equipping us for good works. And we know not to take Bible verses out of context and, and clobber people over the head with them. But unfortunately, not everyone else knows this. Unfortunately, we still have to go and be around family members and friends and neighbors and coworkers who haven't heard these, this sermon series, which is why you should invite them to church here. But, they may come to us and take these Bible verses out of context and use them to hurt us. And they may come to us and and say things like, you know, I love you enough to tell you the truth, and as a result, you need to know that Leviticus 19.28 says you should not get a tattoo and that it's sinful. Or they'll say things like, I love you enough to make sure that you know that since your church doesn't meet on Saturday, it's not a real church. Or they'll say things like, 1 Corinthians is clear in chapter 11, verse 47, all women have to wear head coverings. And, and, and since I love you and I want you to go to heaven, you have to follow this verse. And if you don't, I'm sorry, that's just, it's just how it is. We know now that we should not do this. But not everybody else has heard this. So how do we do that? How do we take what do we do when someone comes to us and says the bible is clear god only helps those who help themselves which is not in the bible by the way it's a quote from benjamin franklin and it's absolutely disgusting theology when you really get down to it and yet it is everywhere but what it does is it tells us that we can fix ourselves and pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps And that if we work hard enough, God will respond to that and help us and fix us because we're doing the work on our own. But that's the antithesis of the gospel because the gospel story is that Jesus came for those who can't help themselves. And if we could help ourselves, there would be no need for Jesus. Or, Or they'll come to us and say, you know, I know you're going through a really rough time right now and you're really struggling 
But God would never give us more than we can handle. No, that is garbage. It's not in the Bible, that's the first piece. But they say this well-meaning to tell you that you're stronger, but really what it does is it minimizes how we feel. And it minimizes the struggle, and it turns God into some God-awful tyrant whose only existence is to make you suffer more. No! Bad things happen that we can't handle all the time. And I don't know why, but I'm pretty sure it has nothing to do with God being this tyrant who just wants us to hurt more. Because, well, I know you can, you can handle a level nine, so I'm going to give you a nine and a half. No, that's not how this works. But people try to be helpful, and they're well-meaning. So what do we do with that? If you have your Bible, I'm going to encourage you to turn to Colossians chapter 2 as I invite uh, Randy to read it on our screen. Drop your sword. Today's Bible reading comes from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 19. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head and all rule of authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. I'm Randy Wilson, and that's the word of God. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. I'm going to miss these videos. <laughs> but this scripture brings us to a place that when people try to hurt us with religion, with scripture, with things that they claim to be scripture that aren't actually scripture. Side note, I once at a previous appointment talked about the Ben Franklin quote about God helps those who help themselves. I had a, a person from the church come up to me afterwards saying, that's in the Bible, and I'm going to find it. I said, okay, well, when you find it, you let me know. It's been eight years. <laughs> but how we respond when someone comes to us and tries to clobber us makes all the difference 
in how we end up living our lives. And it's this in Colossians chapter 2 that we read. The first piece is we live as if we had received Christ. That the way we received Christ and the, and the freedom and the grace that comes with it is how we get to live our lives. We can relax because we know that we as followers of Christ are forgiven. That, that God's grace is even for us no matter what. No matter what we've done or who we've done it to, with, for, or because of, or how many times we've done it, God's grace is still for us. It goes on, it says all the things we've done wrong, all of the debts we created, all of those things have been canceled out, nailed to the cross. And I love this, Jesus didn't pay the debt, he canceled it. Paying the the debt means there's a record paid in full in all of this. Canceled means it no longer exists. If you tried to find a record of the debt, it's gone. If you try to find a record of your sins, it's gone. It has been nailed to the cross and destroyed. So what does that mean? That means when people come up to you and say, well, I can't believe you're eating shellfish. The Bible is clear. We can say, you know what? Lobster is actually pretty good, so I'm going to go with this. When people come up to us and say, the Bible's pretty clear. You shouldn't get tattoos or women shouldn't speak or this or this. You can go, you know what? No, you you don't get to sit in judgment. You don't get to do this because we have been forgiven. We who live in grace now are free. Sometimes people will say to you or to me or to us, well, you did this kind of sin, so now you have to do X number of things to make it better. We have to work that out as if we have to pay off something. This is the other way around. In verse, which verse was it? In verse 18. Don't let anyone who wants to practice harsh self-denial and worship angels rob you of the prize. They go into detail about what they've seen and they become unjustifiably arrogant by their selfish way of thinking. They say things like, well, if you're going to be a good Christian, you have to fast for 40 days or you have to do this, or you have to do that. Those are all great things, and they might be super spiritual and a good way for you to connect to God. But Jesus is the one who forgave everything, canceled it out to the cross. We don't have to do anything extra beyond that. And when people tell us otherwise, they're taking the scripture and using it out of context to hurt us. Now, If you want to fast, if you want to give up certain things, those are all wonderful ways. And they can be incredibly powerful ways to connect us to God. But anyone who tells you, oh, you have to do this. Lent is coming up and people always say, well, I have to give up chocolate because I'm a Methodist and that's what we do. (laughs) No, you don't. If you want to give up chocolate so you can better connect to God and when you have the cravings for chocolate, that's fantastic but you can be connected to God and eat your chocolate. I want to know where they got the willpower to do that. I have no idea. I don't want to know because I don't want it. (laughs) Where was I? I forgot. I forgot. I forgot where I was. I'll start over. Um, They go into details. They start talking about all these nuances of things 
we have to do or things we should do or should not do. All we have to do is love Jesus because he first loved us. Everything else is extra. Everything else is details. But there still comes a question of what if they're right? What if what they're saying is, is valid? What if maybe I shouldn't do something or I should be doing something? How do I interpret scripture that says, do not get tattoos? When Randy, who read our scripture, has a full sleeves of tattoos all over him. What do we do with that? How do we interpret this? Now, there are big, fancy theological terms for that, but the best way I can come up to explain how we interpret Scripture and how we think through decisions and ideas that maybe were not covered in detail in the Bible is through my grandfather's glasses. You see, my grandfather was a tool and die maker outside of Philadelphia for a company called the Bud Company. They made parts for helicopters and things, and, and he made the parts that made the parts for the helicopter. Tiny little things where millimeters matter, there's no margin of error. And he had these glasses, these are his glasses, and he wore them every day. But on them are different lenses. And there's the big one, which everyone can see. And we can think of it as our scripture, as our Bible. When we come across something, we interpret everything through the scripture, including other scripture. So when someone comes to you and says, well, Leviticus 19.28 says no tattoos, well, we can put this back into the context of the fullness of scripture, where in Isaiah 6, it says that God has our names permanently inked on his hands, and suddenly the God of the universe has a tattoo. Or we can Someone comes to us and says, like we talked about last week, that women shouldn't speak in church. Well, then we interpret that verse through the context of all the other verses, of all the times that women add to the beauty of the church, all the times that they interpret scripture, and we realize that we are actually better off having every voice heard. And we can interpret and see this. But sometimes... Scripture's not real clear. Sometimes we need to add a little more to it. For example, the word cat does not show up in the Bible. The word astronaut is not in the Bible. Molecular biology is not in the Bible. Cloning is not there. How do we handle these topics? These things that 21st century has that first century Christianity didn't even experience. Cars and pollution and all of these pieces. Well, we add in maybe a different lens of our own experiences. What has been my experience with people who have tattoos? Are they somehow less because they have a tattoo? What, what about my experience of people eating shellfish? What, what has been the experience? Are they somehow less of a human being because they've done this? Where we add in our tradition what has United Methodism said about whatever topic? What has 2,000 years of Christianity taught about said topic? And we can look differently through these lenses. One of the one, the one lens that I think uh, should be classified as a superpower is the lens of logic. A lot of people time t t tend to 
lose that one out, especially if they're driving through a roundabout down here in Saxonburg. Um, but we can look through this lens and say, what can I actually figure out? What can, what can I logically deduce out of this situation? And we can shift these lenses around based on what we need. Because while we are free in Christ and we are forgiven and it's been nailed to the cross, this is not a license to do whatever we want or whatever feels good in the moment. We apply the different lenses to the situation, to our life, to whatever theological thing someone is trying to convince us of. Now, here comes the confusing part or the difficult part. Two people can do this, can take this theological process and use the scripture and the tradition and the reason and the experience and put them together and these two people come up with two wildly different ideas. They couldn't be further from the truth or further from each other and yet they have done it. What do we do with that? What do we do with that? Especially when they're trying to use one to tell us the other one is wrong because that's very easy to do. Say, you know what, I've studied the scripture. I've spent decades reading this and you came to a different conclusion. Well, you must be wrong. But the other side can say the exact same thing. Now what do we do? Verse 18. Do not let anyone who wants to practice harsh self-denial and worship angels rob you of the prize. They go into detail about what they have seen in visions and have become unjustifiably arrogant by their selfish way of thinking. Don't let that rob you of your prize. It becomes very easy for ourselves to go, well, you have a different opinion. You must be wrong. It becomes very easy for the other side to go, you have a different opinion. Well, you must be wrong. And what happens is this becomes a very selfish way of thinking that robs us of the prize. I am convinced when we step into eternity, there are going to be people there that we don't think should be there. <laughs> there are going to be people there who have very different opinions than us. And we're going to spend eternity together. That's the prize. The prize, the prize of following Jesus the end of the story, as it were. In Revelation 21 is, we spend eternity in the presence of Christ. We can't let our selfish thinking, thinking that we are right, keep us from that prize or keep others from that prize. So when someone comes up to you and says, well, you know, the Bible clearly says we understand that there is context, there are ways to look at it, ways of thinking it through that might be different than ours. And our response is not to be robbed by the prize, to rob them of the prize or rob ourselves of the prize, but simply say, you know what? Thank you very much. I disagree, but we can still live together. We can still coexist together. It's in there that we embody the unity of who Jesus is and all that Jesus has called us to be as a church. Not just as Nixon United Methodist Church, but as the church in the world today 
filled with those different voices, filled with those different experiences and traditions, all following Christ together. Let us pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for the way in which you have called us together as your church. We confess that we have at times used scripture to hurt people. We pray that you would forgive us of that. We pray that when people try to use scripture to hurt us, we would see that there is more going on. That we would understand that we are called and forgiven. and We don't have to let them hurt us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.